0: This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis and all things Georgia State sports, because every day is Thursday.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 96 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Taylor. I am joined today by the entire crew, David Brady and Jordan joining us today on the pod. We have a lot to get to today. First, we're going to be talking about Georgia State's 20-9 victory over Charlotte to get that all-important first W of the season for the 2021 campaign. And then we're going to be stepping forward a little bit to preview Georgia State's trip out to the Plains to face number 23 Auburn this Saturday. But first, let's get back to that all-important win Georgia State was able to notch this past weekend. Gentlemen, how are we feeling post-first W?
2: I mean, we'll get into it for sure in detail later, but my initial impression was just that I think it's about exactly what people would have wanted with both sides of the ball in a win. It wasn't necessarily even just that Georgia State needed to win a game. It was that they had been playing bad, especially on the offensive side of the ball, and that I think that there's stuff you could take from both sides of the ball where you said, this is exactly what you needed to see from this team, and as a bonus, got a double-digit win in the end. Yeah, you know, just like
3: Taylor getting right into the, you know, nitty gritty today. That's kind of what Georgia State did. They uh, made a change at a very important position. And, you know, for the most part, it worked out. But they just hammered Charlotte right down the gut and, you know, had some big plays that went their way, too. And, you know, it really worked. And I, I think they looked good on both sides of the ball.
1: That's actually where I'd like to start, David. It's funny you bring that up is Georgia State made a change at the quarterback position. That is obviously the biggest story going into the game. What was our? What was your takeaway? I'm interested, Dave and Brady specifically. What was your takeaway about uh, kind of the context leading into the decision, and then how that decision kind of rippled out onto the effects on the field that we saw on Saturday?
2: Yeah. So, as these things always work out, uh, we started hearing chatter about this possible beaming thing. Uh, ben Moore, friend of the pod, PantherTalk.com, ended up reporting the news right before kick. But even the days leading up to the game. It started being a little bit of chatter. So, obviously, naturally, after we'd recorded for the week last week. Um, but I, as it was happening, I, I started to see the rationale behind the move, especially if they, with 2020 hindsight, you could see that Darren Granger was entirely comfortable just pulling the ball, being a part of the offense on the ground. And that was maybe the thing that was missing most during the games that Quad had been quarterback. And so, you know, it's, it's easy to just always, oh, yeah, this made sense the whole time. But in hindsight, you can see why the move was made. And like I say, I think the biggest change it was is it just felt like the run game opened up in a way that really hadn't been since Dan Ellington, I don't say left the program because he's still there, but when Dan Ellington stopped being the quarterback at Georgia State.
3: Yeah, you know, I'll be honest. I was a little apprehensive about it. Um, You know, I'm a big quad fan. Um, I think most Georgia State people around the program over the last year are big quad fans. You know, you saw going into the stretch run last year that quad kind of elevated his game a little bit, and it really helped keep defenses honest. You know, you saw him lead that comeback against Georgia Southern late in the game uh last year to you know secure bowl eligibility you know you saw the panthers offense kind of roll against western kentucky in the bowl game you know quad was named the 2020 lending tree bowl mvp um and you know all off season we talked about the potential step forward that he could make going into this year um and you really haven't seen that and Part of that is, you know, opponent. I think at the rate that Army is destroying teams, like that could be a team that wins 11 games, 12 games, or whatever their schedule is. Um, You know, UNC, obviously the first week Sam Howell is not the Sam Howell that uh, Georgia State saw. And, you know, he had another phenomenal week last weekend as well. Um, Just, you know, kind of keeping tabs on that Heisman race. Uh, But Quad didn't really look right. And while at first I was a little apprehensive about the switch, once it became official, I kind of realized just watching some of the other games last weekend that confidence is really important. And the ability to make adjustments is really important as well. And I don't think quad necessarily got rattled per se, uh, because that would imply there was a period of time this year where he kind of looked calm and poised and stuff like that I just don't think he has the confidence right now that he had last year and because of that you know, kind of as I sat with the decision a little bit before kickoff, I realized even in the couple of drives that Granger came in and played in the Army game and the um, and the uh, UNC game he, he looked more poised than Quad did and yes, it was you know crunched or it was a garbage time and stuff like that. But I don't know, like there was just a decisiveness about his ability to run, even the passes that he was trying to attempt, whether they were completed or not. And so, you know, I guess it just made sense kind of at the time to make that sort of change.
2: Yeah, a, a couple of things more on it is that I think one, I think everyone is asking, I'm sure, including the offensive coaching staff. know where was where's the quad brown we saw at the end of last year because like david said he finished the year on a tear he was playing his best football by the end of the season and so there's the lingering question of what exactly happened but at a certain point you can't leave it unanswered and just say he's going to figure it out if you think you've got an option that can get the offense rolling better and so i think ultimately what the deciding factor was is we don't really know what's not working with quad right now but we've got to try and Get someone else in there, and so far it looks like a, a good decision. The second thing I wanted to say, and this is something Jordan had noticed on field level as well when he was taking photos, is that you know Quad went out for the coin toss as a captain. He was on the sideline, active, staying around huddles on timeouts, staying in the game. He had to go in a couple of times because Darren lost his helmet, and so it didn't seem like this decision for him to lose the job has yet had a real negative effect on him. He seems to be the same guy and I honestly, given what we've seen of him, I wouldn't be surprised if the coaching staff felt like they could make the call without completely ruining any future chance of him feeling he can be the quarterback. I like, I think that they trust that he can respect the decision, learn from the decision and continue to grow and I don't think that they are calling quits on Quad Brown for even this season. Certainly not for the next three years he has eligibility, and so that's also where I would leave it is that right now it feels like it's Darren Granger's team to run on offense, and I think that's probably the smart call based on what we saw, but I'm certainly not throwing in the towel on quad. I don't think the coaches are, and I don't think quad is. This
3: is kind of the conversation that we said back in the offseason when we uh, got the information that Granger was transferring to Georgia State. It was we I, I remember Brady specifically mentioning how it's kind of an embarrassment of riches. Like if Granger comes in and wins the job, it doesn't mean quad is bad. It just means a guy was better than him, you know, and if this is Darren's team to run from now on till the rest of the season, that just means that in practice or whatever, he was better. Better than Quad. He was better than McKaylee. Like, that's the he, in the eyes of Coach Sean Elliott and, you know, offensive coordinator Brad Glenn, like, that's who they trust to run the Georgia State offense. And I mean, you know, we can get into the specifics of the game a little bit later, but like as Brady said, like the offense that we saw on Saturday was the best, most fluid form of the Georgia state offense that we've seen all year. You know, the offense that was working for those two drives that got touchdowns for Georgia state before when quad was at the helm, that is Georgia state offense. Well, Darren Granger just did that for an entire game, you know? And I think at the end of the day, with the expectations of this team, that has to matter. You know, at some point you have to be, start making your bed and, you know, Granger wasn't even the only offensive change that was made that I think was made in the best interest of the Panthers football team.
1: And that's another beautiful segue, David, um, specifically bringing up the change in the starting position, because there were a few other changes in the starting lineup for the Panthers, specifically in the offensive side of the ball. Um, Of course, Sam Pickney missing another game with a hamstring injury. And there was another change at running back as well. What were the uh, other changes that we saw specifically? And then, do we think that some of the players that got increased playing time might have carved out a bit of a larger role for themselves due to the circumstance of being thrust into that starting position?
2: So, yeah, Tucker, Greg replaced Dustin Coates as starting running back. And we saw Dustin still play. And, you know, there was a fumble. We'll get into it later. I think for a plethora of reasons, The first of which is just that Tucker played a great game, took control of the ball, took care of the ball. Yes, I think that he is going to stay where he's at it. I think that he's earned the starting job. He did a great job. And then the running, the wide receivers, uh, it's funny because we spent a lot of time talking about who's going to be that third guy to step up. And, you know, Sam Pinckney has been hurt. Uh, Cornelius McCoy left last game with an injury, hasn't necessarily been contributing like we've been seeing. And it's been the Jamari Thrash show. And last week, Ja'Kaius Cradle joined him, and they both had great games. And so, yeah, it's a a thing where maybe the most encouraging thing in a passing game where you only threw it 12 times, only completed it six times, is you were able to stretch the field without your two best receivers on the field. And so that's a credit to what Jamari and Ja'Kaius did.
3: Okay, so, you, you know, you're talking about the third option. The third option is Sam Pinkney at this point. You know, the, the way that Thrash and Cradle have been playing, you know, I can't, obviously, because that's not how depth charts work. Um, but it's it's definitely going to be important for Georgia State going forward to see what that wide receiver room looks like. Um, I don't think... by I don't want to sit here and say that Sam Pickney has been bad by any stretch of the imagination this year. Um, I think he's been hurt. You know, I think he missed the first game um, with that hamstring injury and then some COVID protocol stuff. Um, I still, I think his spot on the roster is fine, you know, obviously. Um, but I've been so impressed with Thrash and Cradle. Um, both of them with those long touchdowns on those go routes and, you know, kind of the way that both of them worked. I You know, I think you got to see Cradle's promise during the UNC game. Um, You know, he only had three catches, but just kind of the way that he was able to get, you know, separation and, you know, when the ball was actually thrown to him and, you know, you could definitely see that he had hands. You know, obviously he went up on that. Uh, 20-yard catch that got called back for an ineligible receiver downfield. Um, But he was definitely somebody to watch for us going into the Charlotte game. And, you know, he showed out. (laughs) He only had two catches, but, you know, there were 61 yards. You know, he had that long touchdown. And he, him and Thrash, you know, they kind of mirrored each other in that they had long catches down the sideline and then just long touchdowns kind of in a flip floppy type of fashion. So, um, you know, if... If the Georgia State receiver room, you know, is going to have those guys who aren't, you know, those top two receiving options that we expected, then it's going to be a really good year for the pass catchers. Um, And just kind of quickly on Tucker Gregg. We're big fans of Tucker Greg, honestly. You know, he is that definite old school smash mouth. Okay, I'm going to just run this right down your throat and you're going to either stop it or you're not going to stop it. You know, the final line might not be sexy, you know, but he he, it's effective. And I think that's where kind of Destin Coates has kind of lost some favor with uh, the Panthers. You know, he had that beautiful, beautiful run. He just fumbled at the very end of it. And like at the end of the day who cares how long the run was when you didn't score and you fumble and you gave the ball back to the other team, you know, like that at some point, that has to matter Um, where he's going to be going forward. I don't know. I think Jam Williams right now has a little bit more favor with the coaching staff. And, you know, for Destin's sake, I hope Marcus Carroll doesn't get, doesn't get those touches that would otherwise go to Destin. But, you know, we might be seeing a situation where the running back room kind of passes him by until he can figure out some of those ball security issues.
1: First of all, that's an Arby's athlete specifically you're talking about, David. That's an Arby's man. Second of all, uh, you know, we've given sort of our larger impressions, but uh, Jordan, can you give us more of a breakdown of sort of the highlights of uh, the game? Because you were especially you were on the the sidelines. So you got a great view of uh, of the action on Saturday.
0: Absolutely. So, uh, as you know, if you looked at these stats, the game was scoreless through the first quarter after recovering the Destin fumble that we mentioned previously at what was the end of a 64-yard run Charlotte marched down the field and found the end zone to take a 7-0 lead later in the second the Panthers needed just a two-play drive to claw back into the game Granger connected with Chakai's cradle down the sideline for 33 yards and then bombed it down the other sideline to Jamari Thrash for a game-tying 35-yard score on the next play misfortune struck state early in the second half when a bad snap chased Granger back to his own end zone to throw the ball way, but when his throw was ruled to have not reached the line of scrimmage or been in the area of an eligible receiver, the result of the play was a safety for Charlotte and a 9-7 49ers lead. But when the Panthers' defense stopped Charlotte on a short field on their next drive, it took another two-pass sequence for Georgia State to take their first lead. This time, Cradle was the recipient of a 28-yard Darren Granger touchdown pass, and it was a 13-9 Panthers lead after a blocked extra point. Charlotte drove down the field in response and made it into the red zone to try and take back the lead, but Blake Carroll forced a Calvin Camp fumble, and Chris Bacon jumped on the loose ball for Georgia State to preserve the lead. Panthers ultimately clinched their first win of the season with a 13-play, 90-yard scoring drive, all run plays, punctuated with a Jameis Williams first touchdown as a Panther. So it was an interesting game, but now I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts about the nitty-gritty X's and O's of the game. What you got?
3: jam got his first touchdown thank god thank god you knew it was coming and it was just such a fun moment i i i've loved the way that he has ran since taking over since switching to become a running back it's just he's never gotten the separation and the blocking in front of him to do it and finally there was a team that gave him a big hole and that energizer bunny hit it and ran with it no pun intended
2: yeah, I mean, I think you know, Jordan asked about the nitty gritty and that jam touchdown happened on the final drive of the game for Georgia State. Uh, and it kind of epitomized best that nitty gritty, the Georgia State football, old man, grown man football, whatever you want to call it, because that was late in the game. We needed to preserve it, run some clock, hold on to the ball. And so what you do, you have a 13 play drive, you run it every play. You just run it down the roads, run down the field, and that's exactly what happened. And you know, Jam was in there. He had rotated in earlier in the game, and he came in late in the drive. And it, it sort of felt like the perfect time to play him because Charlotte was really getting beat back. Thursday was moving the ball, and then by the time they got into Charlotte territory. It sort of looked like everyone else was running at half speed and Jam was running at full speed. That's how much of a difference that his speed made at that point in the game. And so he busted that run, I think, 20-something yards to the 13, and then the next play out of a timeout, 13, untouched up the middle, touchdown. And of all of the things that typify Georgia State, it feels like a commitment to running the ball often, making the gutsy calls like those three fourth downs they ran for, I was like part of it too. And when it's going right, a defense that doesn't give up the big plays and you saw all of those on Saturday night.
1: I'm also interested. And I don't really have a salient point to get to here, but I just find it interesting that really the Georgia state offense wasn't necessarily looking uh, like it was operating on full cylinders until it got that shot in the arm with a two pass, you know, two play very long, extended touchdown, you know, uh, drive over two plays. And then the same thing happened again. Georgia state started to look a little sluggish, a little more anemic on offense. And then another shot right in the arm. Well, we talked about earlier, uh, Jordan alluded to is that, you know, another two pass sequence for Georgia state. And that was really what kind of put them ahead and got them back in the driver's seat. And I'm just curious as to, as a team that is looking to run the ball first, are those opportunities to go over the top and kind of take the top off the defense when, potentially teams are going to get lulled into a maybe a false sense of security seeing how often Georgia State is going to go to the run with a wide receiver room as stacked as we've talked about with Cradle and Thrash and then obviously with Sam Pickney coming back when he's fully healed from his hamstring injury. What sort of dynamic does that add to the Georgia State offense that is looking to run first but has these sort of um, like long and uh, kind of explosive passing attacks?
2: So, The funny thing is, is in the postgame, Kelly was like, we saw that they kept playing really tight, just right up on the line, press man against them. And we were like, they don't know that Ja'Kai's Cradle is good. Like, like we know that he's good because him in practice. And so I think more than anything, those passes were, you know, it was the, they saw that they thought they could take advantage of that. But on a football philosophy point of view, that's sort of how, Traditional triple option flexbone teams work is that they draw everyone in. Army's been elite at it this year. They've had like two incompletions and nine twenty plus yard gains passing the ball because that's they suck you in and they can hit you over the top. And so certainly I think as you have a team like Georgia City who's gonna run the ball, you're gonna see some of that. Um but the one thing I did wanna add about that play in general, that two play sequence you were talking about, more than just like Oh, shot in the arms is great in any game. That's like the first momentum play on either side of the ball Georgia State has had in 2021. But that sequence hasn't happened or anything close to it in the first two games. And that's at least part of the reason why they lost both of them pretty heavily. And so I think that that sequence could be season-alteringly important because it really felt like something had to go right for them. It finally did And everything settled down from there. And they left some points on the board with the fumble. They left some points on the board with some drives ending before they needed to. There were mistakes that led to where Georgia State only got 20 points. But the offense was in enough of a cruise control most of the night. It didn't really feel like it was like, oh, they only scored 20 points. I think there's stuff to clean up. But I think it really got right from that two-play sequence where they tied the game. Absolutely. And to the cleanup point, I think you know, as,
3: as nice as those four go routes were, you know, those were pretty much like the most that Georgia state tried to throw the ball. Um, there, you know, there was a couple other. there's two other completions in the game, you know, nice little scamper for Terrence Dixon on, I believe a screen. And then kind of the same thing on the other side to Roger Carter, um, just kind of like out a little bit in space, but close to the line. Um, and obviously Georgia state is going to need to mix it up, um, just their passing attack. You can't just have guys go, you know, spread back if they're pressing even like you are going to face teams that have better corners who can press at the line and defend your deep balls while also paying attention to the run. Um, But also I think that's a little bit of just kind of getting Granger comfortable. You know, Um, he, maybe he was announced as the starter in Georgia state practice last Monday and we just didn't know about it, but for for all we know, you know, he knew about it when we did and No, he, he knew he knew the beginning of the week. He did? Okay. Um You know, but there's there's still a level of comfortability that needs to come in with something like that, you know, and I think that Gives teams something else that they have to worry about. And so the counteraction for Georgia State now is how can I force teams to, you know, look at those deep routes and, you know, look at us wanting to run the ball while still being able to do other things and, you know, kind of work in those underneath things to, you know, Roger Carter, to Cornelius McCoy, who's now going to have a huge, you know, he has a big opportunity to kind of dominate in the middle because you have that tape where you've seen Georgia State go deep, you know. I, I personally don't think that Georgia state has shown an ability to go deep as effectively as they did against Charlotte, you know, in a while. And yes, like I, obviously I love Sam Pinckney um, and a lot of his, you know, nice catches last year were deep balls, but the deep ball was not necessarily something that quad was busting out every single day, you know? And if Georgia state adds that to their Swiss army knife, like that's huge in terms of how it could improve the offense going forward.
2: Yeah, I I certainly think it was a case of let's play Darren's greatest hits. Let's get him. And I think what he's comfortable with, he was comfortable with that deep ball. And it it took him a couple for one to connect. But like, truthfully, those were there all game. We missed on, I think, two in the first quarter where the receiver was open. The throw just sailed a little bit. But I think it was something from the start they recognized they could have. And, you know, like we talked about right at the, the start of this, like, it is very impressive and good for Georgia State that they were able to do that with their top two receivers not playing either at all or very much. And so it seems like we've got at least four guys in that room. We really need to talk about and opposing defensive coordinators need to pull their hair out about, Uh, but I guess we've talked a lot about the offense. And so I kind of want to center it back on the defense because I think they played the better game of the two. If you just rank, I mean, they both played great games, but I was thoroughly, thoroughly impressed with the defense.
3: You know, they had a good performance. Um, i the numbers are ugly i you know i I can see that the numbers don't look great um this defense is probably a good defense um and I don't know how the rest of the season is gonna go i they're gonna need to put up you know some zero balance it out, but if you watch the way that this defense has been working. And just kind of the contributions they're getting from uh, different levels of the defense. You know, guys are stepping up in the secondary. Guys are, you know, in the linebacker core. Are kind of, I, I can be honest, I did not see Jordan Venziel taking that step forward this year. I, he's been phenomenal, you know. And like, yes, he has made some mistakes in a couple of games, but I think. By the balanced, he has been the best linebacker on the team. You know, I think Blake Carroll was a little bit timid in those first two games. He had a great game against Charlotte. I think the defensive line had a good game against Charlotte. And, you know, they only got two sacks. Okay, that's fine. But they had seven tackles for loss. They were incredible at stopping Charlotte's momentum at times when they needed to come up with a big play. And it really just helped them just kind of let the secondary sit back and do the work that they
2: had to do. Yeah, so a couple of things. I'm going to start with the the run defense because I, even if you factor in every play that Charlie had, they bottled up the run really well. Uh, Charlie had runs of 22 yards and then two 13 yard runs throughout there. 25 uh, yard run, not 22. Uh, so 25 yard run, two 13 yard runs. Their total was 118 and three yards per carry. If you take out those runs and you also take out the sack yardage in the interest of fairness uh for charlotte they had 84 rushing yards over the course of 34 rush attempts and those plays happened and i made this point in the upon further review this week like you can't take those plays away but the point is that there was so much time that charlotte was on the field and they were running offense and just not doing anything they were getting either losses on the play or short gains on the ground. And so it was backing them up into longer third downs. And as we know, as we talked about with the Georgia State offense last week, first week, when you get backed up like that, your offense isn't really designed for that. And so I think that was probably the biggest thing. And it's what they always talk about is saying that they want to make sure that they stop the run. And you kind of saw in this game why that is such the emphasis for any defense.
3: They still need a pick, though. They're close.
2: We were counting. I, I counted personally five times where you could charitably say that interception should have happened. There was, uh, you know, all the pass breakups. So Ja'Cory Crawford had two pass breakups, and both of them were ones where I think if he had the playback, he'd probably say I should have the interception. Uh, Bryce Pierce-Brown made a great jump on the ball in the second quarter, and it wasn't in completion, but... Uh, Another one I think you'd say probably could have been an interception. The the weird one was Antavious Lane, another instance where he jumped the route. He was there in position. It hit his hands, and then it held up in the air just long enough for the Charlotte receiver to bring it in for a first down catch, and that one was a real – if the game had gone a different way, that would have played that I'm sure that he would have tortured himself himself over just because it's one of those things where it it hits off your hands, and of course it hangs up exactly long enough. But Yeah, and – you know, like I I just think that sequentially the game could have gone a different way, and in a lot of ways the defense is a reason why, because the safety sequence that Jordan laid out, I mean, that was painful. even before the safety play itself, it was a third and in inches or third and one that got moved back to a third and six because of a false start, and so it already was like you didn't need to be in the situation, you should have just gotten first down. But after that happened, Great return for Charlotte, uh, and, you know, after safety punts, usually teams end up with pretty good field position. So Charlotte started inside Georgia State territory, up to could have made it a nine-point game, could have really taken a hold of the game. The first two plays on that drive were tackles for loss. Just Absolute stuffed on the run. Third down play, Charlotte got a nice screen pass, got a lot of the yards back, got a fourth and one or two and they went for it, and they ran like a toss play to the outside, and Way White made a tremendous play, forced the guy out of the perimeter, a yard short, they didn't even have to bring the sticks out, it was clear, it was Georgia State ball, and then it wasn't until a drive later that Georgia State got the go-ahead touchdown, but they stopped what could have been the Charlotte run, and then Georgia State ended up being the team that finished on two touchdowns to win the game. And Final thing to say about the game because I think that that sequence signals the way the game went. Georgia State went three through three on fourth downs. Every fourth down they went for was the same play. It was a Tucker Greg run up the middle. On that important fourth down, Charlotte needed to get two yards. They felt like they had to do a toss play to the outside and trying to work it to the perimeter because they didn't think they could get two yards against this Georgia state front. And so I think for that, for me is the game. That's how it played out. That shows Georgia state controlled both lines and that's why they got the win.
1: David, I do find it interesting that you evoked the idea of, you know, Georgia state has been waiting for that impactful sort of momentum shifting play on defense, like an interception generating a turnover, because we did see a little bit of that offensive uh, sort of, um, you know, shot in the arm, spark, whatever you want to call it, come out in this game for the first time this season, with getting those two, you know, short two-play, you know, giant chunk yardage touchdowns to really get the offensive going, uh, the offensive side of the ball going. And Brady, you hit on it, I think, perfectly when you said that, you know, this could be not only a momentum in the game shifting, but those two sequences could really be a a season, you know, trajectory shifting play. Um, And just while we were talking about it, it just got me thinking, transitioning now to looking forward to uh, Georgia State's matchup, heading down to the Plains uh, to visit number 23, Auburn, is the last time Georgia State played in SEC school, the first thing they were able to do and really get out and set the tone is... Force A disruptive defensive, you know, game changing play with, uh, you know, interception, like in the case when they beat Tennessee. And I'm wondering if maybe the stars might be aligning for a defensive sort of coming out party um, and really getting those flashy big plays. To really jumpstart and get them into the game heading down to visit Auburn. But I want to throw to Jordan to give more of a sort of detailed breakdown of who we're going to be facing in this Auburn team heading down to the Plains on Saturday before we do any more sort of, uh, you know, discussion around that. So, Jordan, what are we looking at here?
0: All right. So Auburn ranked 23 in both major polls and are two and one on the season after losing 28 to 20 in Happy Valley to Penn State last Saturday night. The Tigers are led by Brian Harson in his first year, having been hired away from his alma mater, Boise State, where he had been the head man of the Broncos from 2014 to 2020. And it's homecoming weekend for Auburn. Both teams will be wrapping up their non-conference slates. And this is Georgia State's first matchup with the Auburn Tigers players to watch for Auburn a three-headed monster at running back number four Tank Bigsby XCC freshman of the year in 2020 already up to 343 rushing yards in 2021 number 27 Jarquez Hunter, freshman, 320 rushing yards on the season, including a 94-yard score against Alabama State. Senior running back Sean Shivers should also be in the rotation after missing Auburn's last two games. Defensively, number 31, senior linebacker Chandler Wooten, a graduate of North Cobb High School in Ackworth, is their leading tackler with 20 through three games. The Auburn secondary is giving up a 79% completion percentage so far. But cornerback Roger McCreary does have both of the Tigers' interceptions on the season. So, gentlemen, going down to Auburn Saturday, how are you feeling?
2: It's certainly a different feel from the last Power Conference game they played this season. Uh, most exclusively when we were talking after the Army game, before the UNC game, it was, let's see this Georgia State team play not badly. And that's what we got against Charlotte. We just spent a lot of time talking about how both sides of the ball kind of showed you what you're looking for. So I guess for me, where I'm at is put those together again and see what happens against a ranked good Auburn team.
3: Yeah, I agree. Um, And I I think the task is going to be pretty big for the Georgia State defense, Um, you know, it's SEC football. They're going to come and run it right down your throat. You know, his first name is tank. So I'm not like giving him a nickname here. But, you know, Tank Bigsby last week against Penn State, another really good team in the country. 23 rushes for 102 yards for, you know, he averaged 4.4 yards per carry. And the reason I say this Cause he had over a hundred yards and his longest rush was 18 yards. (laughs) He just pounded, 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 pounded the ball. And, you know, I think we've, we like to say that the Georgia state defensive line um, has, they've definitely played well this year. Uh, And I, you know, we talked about the army game where army outside of a couple of big plays really did not get off to the level of success running the ball that, you know, you would otherwise expect out of that team because they only run the ball. Um, but you know, that's, that's where your matchup is going to be made. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not channeling my, uh, summer 2019 self and, you know, predicting that a Georgia state upset is going to happen. Um. But if if you're looking for a path for it to happen, you've got to find a way to control some of these running backs and, you know, keep them under 100 yards and try to force them to put the ball on the ground.
2: To be clear, there were no player interviews this week, so we don't know that no player didn't say don't be shocked in relation to this game. We we don't have it. It didn't happen on camera. We don't know that it didn't happen somewhere in the locker room.
1: This is where a Thursday night soundboard would be perfect for George just spam the, don't be shocked, don't be shocked, don't be shocked.
2: <laughs> Calm down yeah, I, there. Tank Bigsby is really, really, really good. And so the thing that I'm about to say is probably going to be a little counterintuitive. I want to see a ton of tanks, Tank Bigsby on Saturday. Because if he's still in the game in the fourth quarter, it means that Georgia State is still in the game and that they still feel the need for Tank Bigsby to be taking carries, playing snaps in this game where if it's going the way they want it to, he might be done at halftime. Might be done in the third quarter, drinking you know cup of Gatorade or whatever uh, powder their sponsorship is for. Probably Gatorade, the Um And picking his feet up, watching the guys behind him on the depth chart get the reps that they're hoping to get. So... I I think that he's very good. And so I think that him being out there a lot would be a test for this front. Uh, But the truth is, is whoever is the back and Jordan named the three of them that have been getting most of the carries. It's a good group. They emphasize the run a lot. They want to do it. They've got big blockers the job and even like on the perimeter in the last game, the tight ends were doing a really good job of blocking and getting some holes open for the running backs. And so it's really a full effort, kind of like what we see with Georgia state's offense with blocking. And so that's a tough task. I mean, they're ranked team. They're 20 plus point favorites. I think the line's at 27 right now for a reason. And I think the only thing that's different between now and this game is just that it feels like Georgia state is in a better place. And specifically, offense seems like it's in a better place and it was even before this last game
3: you know anybody who follows football and specifically has a knack for quarterbacks you know they'll probably notice hey we've been talking about auburn for a good bit we haven't even mentioned bo nix's name um you know there are a plethora of opinions on bo nix um ultimately, I agree with Brady. I want to see Knicks for four quarters. You know, I want the front seven to terrorize this man to the point where he has to play all four quarters. You know, and it, I, I know the caveat going into the UNC game was just you know, oh, play a competitive half, like keep it, you know, keep him close. But if the if they play well enough, you can have a situation where Knicks and Bigsby are still on the field at some point in the fourth quarter, even if Georgia State is. Losing by double digits. You know, they're not going to pull those guys just because, you know, it's a 14 point lead or, you know, whatever it is. It's only, they're only going to pull them if it's way higher than that. And so, you know, As far as we know, Georgia State kind of has that mojo back on offense. And, you know, there was a game just played where the box score matched the tape in terms of, okay, this defense might be good. So, you know, you've got a big test. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the offensive line for Auburn is worse than the offensive line for UNC. And I thought that the defensive line for Georgia State did a good job against the offensive line for UNC. But it's another big test, you know, hostile environment. Go, you know, show people what Georgia State football is about.
2: Yeah, I think my last thing on the defense, the uh, last two things on the defense, Georgia uh, State held Charlotte to 415 third down conversions last week, and that was a big part of getting off the field, getting the offense back out there. And Auburn's at 59% on the season. It's the early days, so the sample size is a little skewed, but that's quite good. And so that's going to be the test is like they were able to do with Charlotte, keeping them behind their desired distances and making them maybe throw in – situations where they'd rather have it third and short and running it. And then, yeah, I, Bo Nix doesn't have any interceptions yet, and Georgia State defense also doesn't have any interceptions. So I think just a mini goal that might have nothing to do with the outcome of the game itself, but just would be a nice bow to stick on, is getting your first interception as a unit and getting the... Uh, I didn't even realize I was making a bow pun. Like, legitimately, hand to God... Was not making a bow pun, I see that they I'm getting jeered in the audience for that I definitely that caught was, that I <laughs> was not that was not my my intention like legitimately as someone who will intend that all the time um the little takeaway you can give yourself could go a long way, and also it's just nice to be how you know, that guy's got no interceptions. It'd be a shame if we did something about that, you know.
1: Well, we saw, you know, a transformative, uh, you know, effort from the Panthers compared to their first two outings this season against Charlotte. Hopefully they're able to take that sort of offensive momentum, transfer it into positive energy moving forward. What do we feel about the offense's chances against a uh, let's, let's say a big and bruising SEC defense.
3: it on schedule. Um You know, like last week, Penn State was five and 10 on third down. You know, they kept it in very manageable third down and distances. Um, That's always been Georgia State's bread and butter. It doesn't matter how they do it. It's just you've got to find ways to convert. Um, You know, we talk about it with the defense, but offensively, You know, they haven't gelled too well, so those numbers are probably a little bit more justified. But you've got to find a way to continue to, you know, pound the rock and find some holes, exploit the holes, because they'll be there, you know. that's I think that's the thing about these matchups is, you you know, you have the rarefied air of SEC school, but, you know, let's face it, this might be a good Auburn team, but, you know, they're not Bama. They are – you can probably move the ball against them. Um, And, you know, I – the old takes exposed is coming from my head when I say that, but if Georgia state is going to continue to show that confidence in Granger, you know, you're going to want to see him being able to move the ball, you know, taking care of the ball. And, you know, I can be honest, you know, the depth charts out, it had Tucker Gregg listed, um, over Destin coats. I'm sure he will get in the get, Destin coats. will get in the game. Um, but I, I I just wanted him to get that confidence back and, you know, hopefully he's learning how to, you know, secure the ball. And, you know, I think if the game does get out of reach and you're putting some backups in, you know, maybe this is the time for him to, you know, face some less stiff competition with a little bit less pressure and just kind of get the yips out of him and, you know, have that ball security no longer be a problem.
2: Um, I'll touch on that one first and then move to other things I was going to say about the offense. So we have a little bit of precedent, unfortunately, because the fumble problem was also a problem in 2020 for Destin. So in the South Alabama game near the end of the year, he had a fumble in the first quarter and that was it for that game. It was just jam and Tucker the rest of the way he didn't play the rest of that game, but against Southern the next week, he played and he got starters reps. He played a lot. Um, And then in the bowl game, he got over a hundred yards rushing and was a big part of it. So, It seems to me like the strategy so far has been Coach Elliott is going to have a really short leash for him when it comes to in-game situations, but I wouldn't surprise me if he's back out there so long as he keeps his hands on the ball this weekend. I don't necessarily think that the benching has happened yet, although I do think that Tucker is going to stay the starter, but I I think that we're going to still see him because he is one of... probably the most complete backdoor state has like the talent is undeniable he offers a lot when he's out there but when other guys are doing well and keeping a hold of the ball it's really hard to put him out there but i would just say that i expect that he will play because the way it's gone in the past is that he's been given up again and i yeah we'll see how that shakes out but you know, the, the tricky thing with this is there's never a time where you can look at it as Georgia State going into Auburn. It's a tough matchup, and it's not like you can say, yeah, but we, we could exploit this. Like, it's it's tricky to say that anything can be an advantage, but you, just on the raw numbers, Byrne has been giving up a lot of completions, 79% allowed as a team, and uh, the two interceptions... plays they were able to make, but it hasn't been necessarily a strength of that defense. Uh, But when you look at that as a possible thing to exploit, it's not been where Georgia state has been able to shine on an efficiency level. It's Georgia state had success in the passing game in Charlotte, but it was 50% completion. It was only 12 attempts. And so I, I think that you need to throw it some more and you need to try and take advantage of whatever's there. But I don't think you can get away from your DNA of running the ball. And even though the front of Auburn is probably their strength, it still feels like you can't totally abandon that. But I think there's going to be a weird balancing act that's got to happen. And, you know, knowing Coach Elliott and the way that these things have tended, I would guess that he is going to want to run it as much as he can and that he's not going to be cowed by the big, mighty Auburn front. He's going to trust that his offensive line – Can make moves and get out there and get some blocks in. And so I think that we are probably going to see a hefty amount of running the ball, even if that might be meeting strength with strength with Auburn. But I also, I want to see them try and get Darren into some more diverse passing because it's not necessarily an opportunity like, oh, you're playing an FCS team, you can get some reps in, but... with App State coming up the next week and conference play starting, I think that you need to see a little bit more of that. Like Dave was talking about when we were talking about the Charlotte game, see more of the passing over the middle, shorter routes, because that's the thing that of all the phases on offense, that's what you need to see more of. And I think that there's a chance if, if you catch Auburn in some zones, it seems like that's what Penn State did a lot last week, that there are going to be some completions there. And even we saw... I don't know how many overthrows in the first two games this year. I think it would be nice to see some of those open opportunities go for completions. And it might be situationally way to keep drives alive and keep the change going. And I just wanted to finish talking about Auburn. I was looking at their very, very comprehensive game notes that they sent out. Um, they have not lost on a homecoming game since 1991. So 30 years is a long time, I'm just saying. They lost in 1991 to Mississippi State, 24-17. They actually lost the year prior to that to Southern Miss, 13-12. And uh, I think they won by one in 1992. So I'm sure that there were a lot of nervous Auburn fans, like you can't lose three homecomings in a row. But just to say, it's been 30 years. I'm not saying, I'm just saying that's a long amount of time.
0: All right, so we'll see what shakes out Saturday. Uh, That game, of course, 4 p.m. Eastern on SEC Network. Uh, live on the GSU Athletics app and actually not on WRAS 88.5 this weekend but you can catch all of our coverage of course on Twitter throughout the game Brady will be making the trip down to Auburn to handle that for us So otherwise, in Georgia State sports news this upcoming week, we've got a pretty busy slate for the rest of the sports. Uh, Women's soccer facing ULM in Atlanta at 7 p.m. on Thursday today, as of the release of this podcast. At the same time, volleyball will be traveling to ULM to face the Warhawks in Monroe at 7 p.m. Uh, Friday, men's tennis, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, actually men's tennis hosting the Panther Invitational in Atlanta uh, Friday night volleyball traveling to Louisiana Lafayette at 7 p.m. That match will be on ESPN plus Saturday, of course, football at Auburn, as well as men's soccer versus Wofford in Atlanta at 7 p.m. Sunday men's tennis continues Panther Invitational as women's soccer travel to Appalachian State at 1 p.m. to face the Mountaineers. Monday, men's golf, Monday and Tuesday, men's golf facing off in the UAB Grammy McDowell Invitational in Birmingham, and then Tuesday evening, men's soccer playing at UAB as well at 8 p.m. So lots to look forward to in Panther Athletics this week. We hope you will join us for our live coverage of football on Saturday, and if you're going to the game, have a safe trip, have a good time, and go Panthers. We'll catch you next week. Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises LLC on behalf of ThursdayNight.com unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcast. To submit questions and comments or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at ThursdayNight or via email at thursdaynightgmail.com.